Oh, hello. I'm Kate Bowler, and this is Everything Happens. And today is a really special episode. It is a crossover with my dear friend Kelly Corrigan and her podcast, Kelly Corrigan Wonders. Kelly is the author of best-selling books like Tell Me More. She's the host of a show on PBS, also called Tell Me More. And she's just one of the funniest, most honest people that you'll meet. And she is exactly who you want to tell about your beautiful and often boring and sometimes wildly unglamorous days. And we thought it might be a nice time, especially this time of year, when there is an enormous temptation to say that everything is wonderful, when in reality things can be a bit rough. I think as we just chug through December and push toward New Year, we somehow feel like we're supposed to wrap it up, feel finished, look backward on 2022 just beaming with pride and delight. We'll feel that uh, New Year, New You (laughs) pathology. But it might actually be a little healthier, she said bossily, to just take stock of the things that weren't as lovely. Look back on a year that may have, I don't know, sucked. So rather than just showing you the shiny parts of life, today is your absolute permission slip to say three cheers to the crappies, or at least here are the crappies. Kelly and I are going to exchange our crappiest moments. (laughs) And we're gonna talk about the crappy in our personal lives, in our inner circle, during our nine to five. And we just did like a little zinger, like a bonus round. The crappy that that took the cake. That's a that's a horrible mixed metaphor, and I'm I'm already sorry I said it. But this episode is for you if you aren't feeling decidedly warm and fuzzy about this past year, and you just need a minute to say, "Wow, that really didn't go well," or "This isn't always getting better," or "I'm really disappointed," or heartbroken, or hurt. Still. So. Here's to a moment of honesty, very crappy honesty, my dears. And just as a reminder, you, in all of your hopes and problems and unmet expectations and the things in your life that were fixed and the ones that just can't be, all of it is worth listening to. So thanks for tuning into this one. This is going to be fun. Or not, I guess. Kate Fowler, for the crappy files, what is your personal low? Oh, I'm coming in hot. I mean, I'm I'm coming in fresh. I uh, just drove here to this studio from the hospital where I am absolutely unable to manage my chronic pain. And it turns out, so are they. (laughs) So I have an outfit that I wear on my hospital days where I audition for the part of somebody whose pain will be taken seriously. It's always like soft pants and some kind of collegiate sweatshirt, as if to suggest I'm a reliable narrator. (laughs) But I have debilitating chronic pain. And for the last seven weeks, I have not been able to get it under control. And I'm on the peak amount of medication I can be on. And then you start hoping for the the sort of magical doctor figure to sweep into the room and have some new ideas. But uh, at this point, I have a strong cry first thing in the morning in the privacy of my closet. And then I face the day. And then I uh, float in the bath at night because I can't, because my joints just won't keep it together. And then the rest of the time, I am myself. But holy crap, Kelly, lately I'm just not able to fix my life. Yeah. And it's all in your joints or is there even more beyond that? Yeah, it's, I mean, the cancer stuff's going pretty well right now. It's, I just have these bonus features, which is that my joints are too lax and they don't hold together quite right. And so if they slip out of joint, which they do often... And the other day, my one of my ribs popped out and I was like, well, that's not going to work. 
to find someone to like mash it back in, which is how I describe most of this is just kind of a feeling like mash, 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 mash. When your rib popped out, like, could, could you see it from the outside? Like, could you see a bump? No, I just could feel it in the back. So I'm like a, mostly like a very poorly assembled Mr. Potato Head. Like sometimes you fall over, right? That's right. (laughs) Yes. But I have big googly eyes that are pretty happy to be anywhere. So yeah, it's the perpetuity of it. And I think that the mind bending part is that Every day is new and every part of the problem is new. So even if it feels familiar, the smell of the hospital, the stickiness under the floors, the lighting, the intake interview, I just have to tell myself over and over again, this isn't cancer. This is something totally different, but you're on this full repeat Mm -hmm. where life keeps going. But it's, you have to remember it's a spiral and not a circle. You know, but you feel like you've come back to the same point over and over again. Mm -hmm. But nope, it's new. And you actually don't know what's going to happen, even though everything in my body is creating a lot of predictive authority. Yeah, and it's kind of crushing to come face to face with how much doctors don't know and can't do. Yeah. Like to be in that territory where people are kind of like, you know, with that face that's like, (laughs) yeah, like that strained Yes. Accepting the truth of it and then doing that grim shrug that's like, I hate to be the person to tell you this, but we don't know why this is happening or what to do about it. No, no. This is like a managing symptoms kind of place and not a solutions kind of place. It was so funny, though, in the hallway, they had this big gratitude wall Mm. where patients were writing things that they were grateful for. And you know that I have a strong policy (laughs) against gratitude (laughs) because (laughs) I think the gratitude is is something we do to the suffering. It's like the, it's the shellac they have to put over the pain to make it more bearable for us. But this gratitude wall had some bits that were really sweet and dark where people were mostly just saying, I mean, a lot of it was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that surgery went so well. Thank you to Dr. So-and-so. But but one of them was, um, I never thought I would survive it all after I found my 18-year-old dead. And now here I am. I think they were just saying, oh, look, another day. Mm. And that to me was such an intense kind of gratitude that I thought, bravo you for putting that on the gratitude wall next to the butterfly sticker. Yeah. Proud. Proud. Yeah. You know, the only pain I really know, the only physical pain I really know that is even in the realm of what you're experiencing is migraines. So I've Mm. had a couple 72-hour headaches, 18-pill headaches, you know. And for me, there's this super intense internal conversation going on where I'm—I totally believe, Mm. or or I totally want to believe, which means maybe I don't totally believe, but, like, I totally want to believe and almost do believe— that the mind can do great and horrible things to the body. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to believe that or kind of believe that or are striving to believe that, then when you're in the middle of a migraine, which is another shruggable diagnosis, like we don't know, we don't know why they happen, we don't know really why they go away, you can try this, that, and the other thing, you have either the pressure or the opportunity, depending what mood you're in, <laughs> to, to try to sort of think your way out of it, you know, to to go places and do these bizarre mental exercises. Like a, a thing I do in my head that I've never said out loud, I haven't even told Edward, not that it's that crazy, but it's just odd. But it's the kind of thing that pain, it's the kind of conversation pain starts with you, is yeah. there's a little man inside my head and he has a broom and he's like gently sweeping up all these little fragments of pain. And I just try to focus on the little man who's like doing his work. And I I think it's like after I take a sumatriptan, which is the strongest medicine I have for migraines, then I do my little man routine. And I just try to picture him like 
moving it along long enough so that I can sleep. Because what I'm really dreaming of is to be unconscious. Yes, that's right. Yes. Do you do any crazy shit in your head? Well, that was a perfect image because something you said to me the other day, which I've held on to, was because, you know, I've been dealing with this for a bit and I want so much to uh, absolve the people I'm talking to for the terrible feeling it creates when I describe, oh, my life is physically <laughs> is unbearable right now. You said very nicely, um, like, don't worry so much about cleaning up after yourself. Like mm-hmm. when you say something like that. And I, I, I thought that was so good. Like, let's not, let's not tidy it up so fast. And then for you to have that person inside that can just do the slow work for you mm-hmm. without you feeling quite so much pressure to, to clean it up for everyone else. I thought that's, that's perfect. Well, that's, that's a lonely making thing about pain too, is that you're pretty sure like no one really knows what to say about it. Yeah. And you're pretty sure that the people nearest and dearest to you, I mean, you you are sure because you know, because you've been on the other side of it, that like all they want is some signal from you that it's changing slightly for the better. And so yeah. to say to somebody who loves you, no change or getting worse is almost, you almost feel like you're like stabbing them in the heart. Yes. And my crappy is related to this, which is, that I've been caught off guard a few times by my kids who I was bouncing around the world thinking that they were killing it. Mm. And they were really more being killed. Mm. And I asked one of them in, in this moment of honesty, do you sometimes tell me good things so that I won't worry? And they said, of course. Aww. And I was like, shit. And they said, because you internalize things. And I said, right, but I can grow. I can change. Oh. I can be better. Like, I know I do. And, you know, that's that's what love is at some level, right, is that this kind of vein-to-vein transfusion that's happening. But, like, I can be better for you. I can handle it. Like, if it could help you for you to unload more frequently or more honestly or more thoroughly, then I want you to do that. Mm-hmm. But— When you're in a very unguarded relationship, which I am, and which I know you are with your people, you know that they're carrying this and that you've made it bigger by sharing it. You know what I mean? And then, and that's why you feel like you have to run around and be like cute Kate Bowler with the big dimples making the funny one-liners. And that's, (laughs) it's just a fact to be acknowledged. There's nothing to be done about it, but it's, it is this pressure to be like, I love you too much to just let this be shitty for you. Like I just told you something really hard and unsolvable. And now I'm going to give you a little zinger so that you feel better hanging up the phone. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see into my very soul. Yeah. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) I had a a doctor's appointment yesterday. It was with someone totally new. And he did this really painful thing. And then at the end, I go, I love you. I mean, it was Byron. Huh? I love you, Byron. I sounded like a like a tranked bear, like just about to go down. Where I was like, I love you, Byron. But it is, it's, I couldn't not give him something back right. after, after right. helping me. Right, because you're worried to death about him. Because as Lisa Feldman Barrett, my neuroscientist friend, always says, like uh, the best thing for a human central nervous system is another human central nervous system. And the worst thing, for a human central nervous system is another human central nervous system. Oh, my God. Which is to say, like, stress is contagious, calm is contagious, well-being is contagious. Like, everything, we're sharing it all the time in all these different ways with one another. And so what do you do with pain, unsolvable pain of whatever type, right? Like, your kid's sad or your friend's joints are giving out on her, and she's, like, falling down in the hall. I can't tell you how many times I've pictured you falling down in the hall. Like that just like, it's so specific and it's, I I think it's good and important for you to share it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think you're setting other people free to be specific about it and to, to let me picture you falling down in the hall. Like, I want to, I want (laughs) to, I want to have more of you in my heart. 
Oh my gosh, what an amazing thing to say. Oh, Kelly. <laughs> that's, uh, that's so good. That's so nice. Because partially it's sort of related to my crappy, which is, it's a very weird feeling. Very weird feeling. And, and, and more unsettling than the unsettling feeling of loving someone who has a problem you can't fix. Yeah. It's more unsettling to think I don't even know what's going on with someone. That's like right. I, I like for me to yeah. have jumped on the phone with you and had a quick conversation and like yikety yakety and like I'm being Kelly Corgan and you're being Kate Bowler and we're just like being up together <laughs> and then hang up and find out two days later that you've been in pain for eight weeks. Like that would feel more unsettling than just yeah. the regular hard truth yeah. that there's tons and tons and tons of pain that cannot be fixed by love. Yes. I started to develop a theory, though, about like the people who love us best, that their love does make it unbearable for them to hear. So I, I did really lie to a lot of people <laughs> the sicker the sicker I got and just to manage them managing their love. And it has been kind of a hard habit to unlearn, mm-hmm. especially, too, if you've got, um, you know, most people have like a like a real grab bag of problems. Just a kind of a reverse Mary Poppins situation mm-hmm. where it's not like a big plant that'll come out of that bag or medicine. It's just like, oh, arthritis and then estrangement from a loved one <laughs> and then work alienation or something. So I do find that the multiple kinds of problems also sometimes make us lie. Because if you have one big problem, it sort of feels like synthetically everywhere. It's like a it's like a planet with too much gravitational pull. Everyone's like, oh, it's cancer. You're like, oh, no, no, I've got this other crappy problem. Right, right, <laughs> Totally right. unrelated. So I imagine people going I can't get saying, my printer to work. How dare you have multiple layers of kinds of problems? Right. Well, that's the fingernail problem. Yes. A long time ago, I talked to Gia Tolentino, who wrote Trick Mirror, and she writes for The New Yorker. She was on the pod and we were talking about like the hangnail issue, which is that like the world could be burning and Ukraine could be at war. There could be shooters on campuses. But still, if you have a hangnail, your entire consciousness is sucked into this tiny, utterly trivial issue. But I think weirdly, there's something sort of promising or instructive about that, which is to say— that it's a clue to mindfulness, which is if your consciousness could, without your permission, get sucked into your hangnail, then with some guidance, could your consciousness be pointed somewhere else so that you might have like a moment of relief from the ongoing truths of the world? (laughs) I like that. That's a lemon juice problem. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. It is weirdly hopeful, too, that the body is like, ah, <laughs> like, at all. Because, I mean, otherwise, our particular problems would just be constantly drowned out. And then we're always getting pulled back into our own stupid, wonderful bodies and lives mm-hmm. where there's minor inconveniences that remind us that, you know, that we need water and, you know, there's always a meal. I always find that so funny. It's like um, lily pads. The worst things get for me, sometimes the faster I go for a really good reason. Like if I stay still for too long, I might sink. Like I'll pay too much attention to this pain. The walls will close in. It'll feel overwhelming. But then if I just kind of hop onto the next lily pad, which was never meant to hold up my full weight, and then the next one, then there I am kind of like skimming above the surface of the water. And then the day is more bearable because there's always something really beautiful. I mean, terrible and stupid, but really beautiful in every day that does kind of give us that buoyancy. And then and then we're off. But yeah, I find staying too much in the past or the present or the future is always very dangerous. You got to kind of mix it up. Uh-huh. Otherwise, it's the worst. That's interesting because it's so popular to say that, like, the present is all we have and this is where you need to focus all your energy and, you don't, know. Yeah, need- it's terrible. <laughs> don't don't stay in the present for too long. The present, the present is trying to murder you sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Another thought I've been having lately, which I've never had before, is that sometimes foreclosing all discussion and completely diverting your attention is wise and effective. Give me an example. I really like that. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're talking to a friend who's going through a divorce, like she may be trying hard to spend four or five days like without thinking about it. Give yourself a break from thinking about it. And I've had that when I'm worrying about something. And I'll say to Edward, let's talk about this on Friday. Let's just let's just go for five days and and just be in our lives. But our thinking about it will not enhance the outcome in any way. So let's just meet again on this topic on Friday and give ourselves five days to to think about other things. That's so good. I completely agree. I I was just spinning about this pain problem because I thought every choice I made, well, what if I, you know, I'm just buzzing about the relationship between the level of pain I'm in and and every every choice, every meeting, every, I'm like, am I hurting myself? Am I just trying to figure out like, what is my relationship with this problem? And I called a friend, Varike Hader, who is a friend from the podcast. And he wrote a gorgeous book called The Song of Our Scars. And he has this wonderful thing that I think you will love, Kelly, because he was describing like the intensity of the problem, the real thing, the kind of source problem, which he describes as clean pain, like the the fact that cannot be denied. So maybe the thing that you don't necessarily want to talk about anymore, because there it is. And then all the feelings about the feelings and all the spinning and all that, et cetera, as which creates its own effects in our body, not just anxiety, but like prickly nerve pain, over-anticipation, um, sleeplessness, like all the secondary thought stuff as dirty pain. And he was like, Kate, we are going to talk about your clean pain and we are going to make a series of decisions. And then we're going to put a time on the calendar in a couple of weeks, and then we will revisit it. And I bet you anything, the dirty pain will go down. And he was totally right. So I can see how like psychologically, if you want to, I mean, I, I used to do that all the time with cancer scans is like, and this is the decision I made on a Tuesday at 8 a.m. And I will revisit that again at so-and-so a date. Just imagining our life, our worries as calendared. It restores to us, I think, the ability to let any other problem, any other joy or concern kind of take up the real estate it needs. Yeah. Like we give ourselves, we literally give ourselves a break. Right. As my friend, Mary Curtis Mead used to say in college, slam it in a drawer and get over it. (laughs) She would, she would say it all the time. And in my, you know, Northern girl, like overly interested in the social sciences kid that I was, I was like, "Mm, that's going to bite you in the ass, Mary Curtis Mead. But the truth is, sometimes you can slam it in a drawer and get over it just for a minute. It's going to come back. It will win. It will resume its place in your consciousness, but you're allowed to say, we're going to take some days off. What's your crappy of your inner circle? Ah, well, it's kind of one of those pandemic hangovers, which was that for a lot of this last year, everything sort of kept kind of being re-knitted and unraveled. It's like you're wearing a sweater and then someone pulls a thread and then you're not wearing a sweater anymore. You're just like frantically trying to re-knit it. And my best friend, uh, from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Chelsea was just, she was coming up on a big birthday and she was just so decidedly meh about it. She'd had a series of losses all in a row and there didn't seem to be a way to, I think what we realized is that we didn't really have any way to keep time anymore. Like even just saying this was good, this was bad, this was hard, this was a delight. Everything was just sort of covered in a blanket of meh. So I kind of agreed. Like, what a weird few years that ran together in this gray soup. So we did something that I really liked that I kind of want to do forever and ever and ever, which is, and we're, you know, miles and miles apart, but we decided then to market with a series of thematic cocktails of like just of all the terrible, stupid and wonderful, but just to declare what it was. So like she just graduated with her PhD and it was a long, hard slog, but holy crap, she did it. So we labeled that one with a lot of gin, like Chelsea's commencement. (laughs) And then we made a strong like um, 
trying to get any kind of momentum and any kind of like vista feeling that was totally aspirational because it hasn't come true. And we called that a rum of one's own. And that one was just, (laughs) (laughs) but I, that to me was a solid response to the inherent mehness of this year is like, we've got ourselves a timekeeping problem. Mm -hmm. What was yours? What was your, what was your blah or bad inner circle? Of course, I have a lot of friends who are losing their parents. My friend Melissa just lost her dad. My friend Michael Kelly lost his dad. Yeah. But I, I, it's the divorce that's killing me Mm. because like I'm a grown up, and you know, you know, everybody knows the odds, but I, I can't tell you how surprised I am about who it is and what the circumstances around it are and what the consequences have been. Like, we're all kind of flippant and, and have totally normalized, like, 50% of marriages, blah, blah, blah. But it's a—each time, it's like a total yeah. ordeal. Yes. And, and the thing that it gets at that I really don't like, that, like, that I hate the most, is that it's very hard to know people. Like, the first, the first two great friends of mine who got divorced maybe 10 years ago— I thought their husbands were, you know, like gold, solid gold, 24 carat all the way through. And they, they both had done horrible things, really horrible things. And while we knew them, you know, like they were leading these double lives, like right while we were having cocktails and going on couples weekends and swimming in the lake together, like it was all, and then that's just my tiny access point to like, it was all a lie. Mm. But to have been around people and kind of fallen for them and admired them and sung their praises, and then to find out that they're yes. liars, just, oh. just total liars. And again, it's that same thing about unsettling. Like you're set, yes. and it's sort of like you're raveling and unraveling, like settled and unsettled. Like it's nice to settle. It's nice to decide something. He's a wonderful yeah. guy. They're a terrific couple. Yeah, uh, you know totally. what a great friend. Yeah, and then to have that unravel is this it's the same sort of feeling as this pandemic. That's like, are you even allowed to say or think it's over? Because mm-hmm. more and more lately, I'm just seeing masks everywhere, and mm-hmm. I just went to a show and you had to mask in the audience, and just the sight mm-hmm. of it, I was like, oh god. I mean, I'm yeah. sure it's smart. I'm sure we're saving each other, even just regular street colds by doing that. But there is something yes, about having the sweater pulled off you line by line when you thought you were all set and cozy in your little, in your new wool sweater. Exactly. I mean, I was, I was a crazy person after those first two with all the betrayal. Like oh, Edward God. will tell you like that I was like, what are you doing? Who are you texting? What? And yes. he was like, Is nobody Kelly, good? Kelly, yes. stop it. And I was like, well, I'm just saying, like, we loved him. We thought he was so great. Yeah. Yeah. So now I will say uh, there is tremendous growth. Like in both those cases, both those women are completely thriving. Mm. Like it was a it was a hell on earth. You know, it was a thousand days of hell. But they both are really flourishing. And isn't it amazing to watch someone transform? I feel so awed by it when I see it. Like, like I just watched a Rocky montage and I know the friends only get the montage feeling because we're not, you know, there in every shower cry or sleepless night. But like, man, when you see a friend bounce back in any way, when there's any bounce at all, when who could be a tigger in a world like this? Mm-hmm. It's just wild. Yeah, and that's that's really the thing to attach to. If you're feeling like you're going to internalize the whole thing, don't forget to internalize the bounce. Yeah. Like, there's the yeah. loss, there's the grief, there's the bounce. Yeah. And it does happen. Yes. I mean, people, you know, stunning, more stunning even than the crash is the rise. Did we just make that into lemonade too much? No. Only because uh, the hard part about talking about pain, and I find this every little day of my life, is that 
in there somewhere is always this glittering gem. And then the rest of it is an absolute tar pit of sorrow and despair. But uh, both are always true. Both are always true. Mm -hmm. So like this, I love being the person who knows, you know, like whoever that sweet little dum-dum was that I was before cancer. I mean, bless her. She didn't know this. And like, I do kind of prefer this version. Right. With a super healthy body would be great. Mm-hmm. What's your nine to five crappy? This year, I had my terrible sorrow of my very best work friend, work marriage, love of my life, Jessica Ritchie, moved away. And that was awful. It was losing um, the like pop-in feeling, the, hey, what do you want for lunch? Why do we both hate olives? You know, just the like rambliness of that kind of love. And especially with friends where there's so little language for friendship. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. I am so madly, deeply in love with you that everything you do, even your problems, I find adorable just adorable all day long. And you're the only person I really want to fight with all day. I thought it was my marriage, but no, it's you, Jessica. I want to fight with you all day because work is so fun and so much more fun when you just spend all of it um, creating problems because you came up with a work project that was unsustainable and then managing (laughs) that problem and then trying to make it launch and then um, mitigating disaster. But you don't really care because you're... uh, you know, you're on Everest and you're hiking above the oxygen kind of line, but that person is always oxygen. It was that feeling. And I thought, I will never, I mean, we still work together every single minute of every day, but I don't get to wander in and force a pandemic haircut on her, which I then do, which I take scissors out. Like it's that kind of relationship. And uh, I was like, nope, that's it. I'll never love again. So that's, I, I cried about that probably more than any other quantifiable problem <laughs> had in years and years. And uh, there were bits of it that felt manageable, like this move is really good for her. Actually, it turns out that she's in love and is going to get married to some amazing person who just doesn't live here. And now I can feel intense happiness, but like she's the reason for so much bravery in my life. And so you just got to like, like treasuring that stuff and simultaneously mourning it is kind of a, kind of a double whammy. How does she make you brave? Well, I'm uh, an anxious person because I'm always anticipating and she's a, um, she's like a giant, beautiful shrug, you know, where she's like, yeah, it'll be fine. And, uh, and the combination of that means I, I always think after I've talked to her, like, oh, we could do anything. I mean, is the Dalai Lama free? You know, mm-hmm. we've got, a, we've got five great ideas mm-hmm. and I, I don't have anybody else where I'm not usually like the, the waltz leader, you know, mm-hmm. but I am, I like having someone around who's kind and smart and I'll go wherever she leads. It's a wonderful feeling and you, you earn it after, I mean, we met in a Myrtle Beach convention center. No. You know, who else has an origin story like that? No. She was selling merchandise behind a table and I was interviewing celebrity ladies for an academic book on preacher's wives. And uh and there it was. <laughs> I was like, You you seem really smart. You should come do this program. And then she was like, You should probably learn about, I don't know, running a business. And then together our hearts were one. <laughs> That's what I miss about my dad the most is, is he was like, Lavi, great. I mean, anything I brought to him, he'd be like, Lavi, that's fantastic. That'll be amazing. You know, like he thought the distance between where I was and anywhere I might want to go was about two steps. You know, let's stand up. You're halfway there. I mean, oh insane. My gosh. Yeah. And you don't believe it when you're young. You think your parents are just like blowing this sort of generic love into you. But as you get older, you think like, God, he really, either he saw something in me or he, or he put something in me. I don't know which. Oh my gosh, Kelly. What a perfect thing to say. But, you know, it was like, I call it face of love. Like every time you you pitch him something, here's what I think I'm going to do. He'd be like, God, I love it. 
Like, it's a huge face. Like, you know, someone just brought him a cake with 100 candles. Like, Larry. Um, I do th- I do think that for people who are thinking about small businesses and launching things, that if you can find the right partner, I also have the right partner in Tammy, mm-hmm. who's the producer on this pod, a lot of things become possible. A lot. Yeah. And yeah. the whole thing becomes so much more fun. That's like right. nothing, it would be, it would be a tenth as satisfying or rewarding. It really would. It, I would feel yeah. like, for instance, the other night after I did that interview with Kate Bayer, the poet uh, in Brooklyn, where everybody was masked, uh, these women came up after and they were like, oh my God, this is your pod. We, we share it every day. We talk about it. You're like, in my ear, I can't believe I'm talking to you. And all I thought was, Tammy should be here. She should be hearing oh, this. I really want her to hear totally. this. I really want her to to feel what I'm feeling right now so yeah. that she can feel as gratified as I feel. So, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine you losing your gal day to day. Oh, my gosh. I like to take a picture where we... I have a montage with Jessica Ritchie that is better than any <laughs> marital montage I could ever imagine. And because she's been my medical emergency contact. She's been personnel work within a, in an airplane, personnel work with on a, so if you see this like tick, 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 tick of all the places, uh, it's like the feeling where, wherever you go, there's a trap door to somewhere else. Yeah. You know, so wherever we are, we can just like scoot through the door and then, and then ta-da. And then we're having a fun idea. Yeah. And then we're trying to put it in a Google Doc called No New Ideas to try to talk <laughs> ourselves out of having that idea. Uh-huh. But it's too late. Uh-huh. My my crappy is that I had the worst business meeting of my entire life this year. Oh, no. It was brutal. First, I, I screwed up in the beginning and I didn't understand what this woman did. So I asked her the wrong question off the bat. And I don't know if that was it, but then things started to take this terrible nosedive. I was not prepared. I didn't totally understand the context of the meeting. So I was going in for like a meet and greet and like, hey, let's get to know each other a little bit and see what, you know, and two meetings from now, we can talk about the kinds of things that you just started talking about (laughs) that I don't have in front of me. Like I did not have the deck in front of me of like, this is your viewers. This is your demo. This is your trending. This is your online Oh my God, I was so, I was so alone. And I, I just went in by myself and there were three of them and, um, holy smokes. It was the worst meeting of my life by like a factor of 10. I don't feel like I've ever been that, um, thrown from the jump. Right. Like, I think my face was red. I was pitting out. Like that just, you know, I, I, I like a meeting generally because I'm an extrovert. So I just assume that like everyone's going to love each other and we're going to problem solve together and it's going to feel good for everyone and all this going to be this, all this collaborative energy and like we're going to walk out of here with a list of to-dos and woo! Like, you know, it's <laughs> yes. it's like a totally energizing, generally a totally energizing experience for me. And man, I just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And then at one point during the meeting, I was like, do not cry. You cannot cry in this meeting. You are a 55-year-old woman. Like, get it together, Corrigan. And that's all I was thinking about is, like, you cannot let, like, some little, you know, tear go down your cheek. Yes. I mean, that's how bad it was. And I left, and— and one of the women was like, I hope you're not discouraged. And I was like, oh, oh my God, uh, I'm yeah. literally not going to say a word for a week. Like, it's going to take me seven days to open my mouth. And I went to some <laughs> restaurant and I ordered a huge cheeseburger and fries. And I yeah. sat by myself staring at, That's like, right. the happy, well-adjusted people around me who were having successful lives. Monsters. <laughs> Absolute I monsters. ate myself into a stupor. It, yes. I didn't call anybody or like there, no. all these people knew I was having this meeting and they're writing saying, how to go, how to go. And and we're all so stupidly optimistic. Like we thought this was the beginning of a whole new world for us. And 
you know, and people said, do you want me to go with you? And I was like, no, it's going to be great. You know, oh, the, the, it's going to be like, oh, my God. So I didn't call anybody for an hour. No, I mowed no, my the food. first stage is carbs. I mean, the first <laughs> stage is just salty fat because your body in free fall is like, I don't know if I'll ever be safe again. That's right. But this, but this will help me know. This will be my last meal for sure. Oh, yeah. It's, you were fully last suppering it. I was yeah, last suppering absolutely. it. Absolutely. But the interesting thing is then... Whatever the first phone call is, like whoever you admit this complete defeat to, how you frame it is like how you're going to frame it. And it, That's right. it's just such an interesting and important choice that I'm now aware of that I haven't always been aware of in my life, where it's like, either I'm going to say they ganged up on me and it wasn't fair, and I'm going to make everyone I tell the story to hate the other people in the room, or... I'm going to make them all cringe because I'm going to say I went in there by myself. I did not have my numbers with me. I did not know what the shape of the meeting was. I, I said this. I didn't realize what this woman's job was where they're just shaking their heads like, you didn't link dinner? Like, what, what, what was your prep before this meeting? Like, how overconfident were you? And, and then I'm thinking, like, I'm not even going to tell them about when I said right. this, that, and the other thing that were also, like, just going the wrong direction, like not reading the room. <laughs> and it's interesting because you can, and so then there's this split. Okay. This is kind of trippy, but I think it's like worth trying to break down. If I tell you the story in a way that makes you hate the other people in the room, mm-hmm. then now I'm going to live with the truth of the story alone forever. Yeah. So now I made it impossible for the people who actually love me and support me and want to, want to help me think through this thing and process it and maybe take a step forward to do so because I gave yeah. them this kind of totally biased information. Yeah. Yeah. And so now they're responding, you know, passionately responding to the story yes. I've given and them. And they will, because they will passionately respond as they, as, totally. as friends do. They will hate them for me. They'll be yes, like, you got to be kidding me. You should Thank blah, God. blah, 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 blah. And I'm in my head like, that's not really the way it happened. Like, it was, it was kind of my fault. I think it might have been my fault. But that goes all the way back up to the thing we were saying at the top, which is if you tell me you're you great and I yeah. find out you're falling down in the hall, yeah. then I can't, yeah. I can't be you there. To, and that's the whole point of enough. the whole thing. The whole point yeah. is that we yeah, would just be right. able to accompany each other through all the phases. Yes. Um, okay, what's your dealer's choice? This is a final crappy. Yeah, this is from this week, which a real real roller coaster. So I was giving a talk in Florida a couple of days ago, and every time I'm away, I feel a lot of like, what am I doing with my life? Am I not being the mom I want to be? And so I try to add something to my away trip that creates like a like a big memory, and so I realized I was I was in this small college, Eckerd College, that strangely, I had an old friend from a previous past version of myself that was suddenly working there. Amazing. So I reached out to him and I was like, hello, old man friend. Do you <laughs> want to do something fun while I'm there? I've got like three hours before I give this talk. And he was like, yes, absolutely. I would love to, um, he was like, do you want to go ocean kayaking? which he was like, I've, I've never done. I know, amazing. I love already the precarity set up in person who has not been out on the water um, <laughs> with uh, health that I very much want to protect. And um, immediately said, yes, we're going to do, we're going to do sea kayaking right before my talk. What could go wrong? Oh my and, God. Uh, You're as bad as me with the meeting. Like, what are you thinking? God. Um, in order to do anything on a college campus, it requires about 14 different steps. So was I able to just borrow the kayak? No, I had to do an open air swim test in front of a whole <laughs> sea of 18 year olds. So there I was, I had to dive into the water, the cold, cold open air water. And I am trying desperately to do front crawl, which it was a, was a, the length of the pool. Was in America, 12... we call that freestyle. I just wanted to, I just want to convert for the American listeners. I mean, if you'd watched me, it looked like a woman struggling for survival, but it was about <laughs> six times longer length laps than I expected. I managed to survive the swim test. Turns out my friend had uh, gone earlier in the day because he was too self-conscious to do 
his laps in front of me. And I was like, damn you. Um, so we head on over to the waterfront. We get into the water. I am stabilizing his kayak. I want very much for him to be safe. So he gets in the kayak. And right when we get in, we both get our own kayaks. The um, other 18-year-old goes, oh, hey, just so you know, the wind is really terrible. And if you go out, you'll be pulled out into the middle of Tampa Bay. Have a good time. <laughs> I was like, oh, hey. So, so now I'm like in full alarm. Like I now have a man's precarious health on an open sea kayak. We 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 like noodle out through these channels and out into the bay. And guess what? The child was totally right. It is like gale force winds. I forgot that there's a hurricane coming. We are immediately pulled out. We are straining against oars. I'm yelling things like, use your shoulders, use your shoulders. <laughs> I was like, let's just get to the shore and then we can make our way back. So all I wanted was for us to get these two stupid kayaks as close to the beach as possible. And then we could just follow the beach back. So Kelly, we are basically two kayak lengths away from this gorgeous sandy beach. And then before my eyes, my old man friend's kayak begins to pitch wildly on both sides, like goom, goom. Like there's massive troughs on each side of his kayak as it's, it's, it's as if he was suddenly in the middle of a whirlpool. And I am we both are screaming. Uh, I am trying to figure out at this point, I'm like, do I need to get in? Do you want me to? Because I thought in my brilliant mind, I will throw myself into the water because I knew it was only waist high. And then I will stabilize this man's kayak. Then I think, because it's what I see under it is brown. It looked to me like the bottom of a ship is rising up. Shut up. He's yelling, maybe it's a dolphin. I was like, are there 12 dolphins? Like how many dolphins come in there? So much screaming. Then all of a sudden my kayak starts to pitch, 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 back and forth. And then all of a sudden, I look behind me, nothing surfaces. Except that what I can see is a five foot stingray, <gasps> like a 175 pound death pancake that had obviously <laughs> like partially buried itself in this right next to the beach sandy shore and was just chilling out trying to eat Holy little crabby smokes. things. And that we had like gotten him stuck between the <laughs> kayak. And the shore, and that in the like feeling was just Uh him flapping his stupid wings, (laughs) trying to get out. How was the speech? Did you like get it together and deliver? Like wet hair, Uh just like (laughs) frazzled. Oh Uh, my god! Well, you made a memory. I mean, you wanted a memory, Kate Bowler. You wanted a memory. I'd like to keep my memories, though, with an ongoing sentence that requires me to stay alive. And apparently Whoa. it's not likely. <laughs> Whoa. Holy smokes. Well, uh, this is uh, this is going to yeah. be quite a transition. We should have checked with each other before we started because the, there's just no segue on earth between <laughs> these two topics. Kate almost gets killed by a stingray with a man she barely knows. Into yeah. FTX collapses and Sam Bankman-Fried is not that good a guy after all. That is the headline of mine. So I had listened to this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, who started this uh, crypto exchange and had made $25 billion. Oh, no, now it's $30 billion, et cetera. And I heard him because he was on uh, a podcast talking about effective altruism, which I became a huge fan of in that conversation. And I said, Edward, you got to listen to this. We got to give away 10% of our income forever and ever. This is such a persuasive idea. And the idea about effective altruism is twofold. One is that you just say every year you're going to give 10% of your gross to charity. Don't think about it. Don't renegotiate it with yourself every year. Just do it. Commit. And then the other is that you're going to give it to um, these vetted philanthropies where they're saving lives for, you know, like 10 cents. I mean, it's a way to cut through all of the philanthropic options in front of us and choose ones that have the highest impact on lives saved. And it's actually like incredibly inexpensive to save lives if you're looking globally. 
So I was just all in on it. And I kind of had that hero feeling. I kind of thought, like, listen to this guy. He's so bright. He went to MIT. He could have made billions of dollars on his own. And instead, he's committed all of it. He's not doing 10%. He's doing all of it. And he literally was saying on this podcast, the only reason I make money is to give away money. And I realized that I could help the world way faster by making piles of money than I could by giving away a little bit of some money that I could make in other industries. And so I went like to the White Hat Center. I went to crypto. I started this exchange. It's called FTX. And anyway, it turns out like he did some shady stuff. People called in to get their money out of it. The whole thing collapsed. It's bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And more, it's that same thing. It's like the theme of the episode for me is that I, I had settled the issue. I was like, he is heroic. This is a solution. People will make bold moves that the rest of us can follow, and that will make mm-hmm. things better. And, like, it mm-hmm. was a closed case. I had, if I'm the judge and jury, I had, like, hit the gavel and moved it over into completed cases pile. Yeah. And then it, you know, erupted, as they oh. so often do. So that was my uh, my bonus crappy, is that um, the repeated realization that there just aren't heroes. Yeah. Except oh. maybe you— because you saved your friend from the stingray. I don't know. I almost did. And then apparently I just stayed in my own kayak. So no. maybe all heroes. <laughs> yeah. It. So you're not a hero either. You just try Absolutely to save not. your own hide. I was like, let's ride this out. Let's just see. Yeah. Let's see what happens. You know, I don't think I will get out, actually. Yeah. <laughs> actually. Good luck. Actually, now that. It was good was to so see fun. you after all this time. I'm sorry. I have to give a speech. You see, I have to give a speech. (laughs) I need it. I signed a contract. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I love you. I'll see you next week and we'll do uh, the happy files. That'll be one to tune into, folks. Oh my gosh. We're going to be happier than feels quantifiably possible. Yeah. Look out, world. Well, my dears, if you've had a year of more crappies than happies, you are not alone. It really doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. You're just human again today. And that pressure to be positive might be really strong right now. In fact, if you're not living a beautifully, effortlessly joyful life, people will send you reminders that they are not just on social media, but you will see it in every Christmas card and in every New Year's resolution. So, you know, you can take a minute and just say, hey, it's okay to admit, maybe that really sucked. I wish things had turned out differently. Maybe right now I'm not doing that well and I need to reach out. I need to like wave the white flag and say, hey, come find me. So if that's you, my love, you are worth listening to. And I really hope you'll tell someone in your life that things are not going okay. I'd also really love to hear about your crappies and happies. We created a little graphic you can add your own and share on social media. You can head to the show notes of this episode or find me online at Kate C. Bowler. And Kelly and I will be back next week to share our happies. I promise it will not be saccharine. It will just be honest. And I can't wait to see you then. All right. Bye-bye. A really special thank you goes to our generous partners who make this work possible. Lily Endowment, the Duke Endowment, Duke Divinity School, and Leadership Education. And to my incredible team, Jessica Ritchie, Harriet Putman, Gwen Higginbotham, Brenda Thompson, Keith Weston, Jeb, and Sammy. Thank you. This is Everything Happens with me. Kate Bowler.